All right, this is day three of Birds 365. Thanks for joining us on the Jacobs Media YouTube channel and or by clicking us up on phillyvoice.com. We are your Mac and Mac guys, Mac and Mac version two here on Birds 365, the true insider, John McMullen. Oh, I still got my glasses on. I uh, try and go without <laughs> the glasses because they uh, reflect badly back off my computer screen. Uh, he is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald, and you're stuck with us for the next two hours. Johnny Mac, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, Jody. Day three, excited. Uh, little, little, you know, little fatigued. I'm in like round eight, trying to get to to round twelve nowadays. It's not the, it's not the old school where you got to get through fifteen rounds. So we'll make it. We'll we'll get there. And uh, for those of you noting uh, the. Uh, headwear of the team. Day one, I put on the Kangol hat. Uh, Johnny Mac did not. Yesterday, Johnny had his on. I went uh, uh, au natural up top. Today, we're both covering up dome time uh, with our Kangol's on. Uh, you never know what kind of hat wear we'll be putting on here on Birds 365, but it should cut down on the glare when John and I both have uh, hats on for you. Uh, Jay, we got a good one planned for the folks today couple of good guests coming up, very draft-heavy related. First and foremost, our buddy Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com put up his Eagles-only mock draft either yesterday or the day before, um, and I do like a couple of his picks, guys, that I've kind of targeted that I thought could be not first-round picks. Everybody's opinion is always generated about who you're taking in the first round with the Eagles. We know that is with pick number 12, or at least it is as of right now. But the Eagles have uh, 10 other picks that are going to be kind of important this year. And we may throw a name or two at you uh, with Jimmy Kemsky join us. And then Matt Manchurian is also going to join us, a former NFL dra uh, dra uh, draft guy, NFL scout, who is turned into a uh, draft prognosticator with a book that he puts out each and every single year, which I've gotten both of the last two years. And if you talk about information, he's going to give you a lot of information. Yeah, the SIS football handbook. So everybody should get it. Uh, Amazon, anywhere you can buy your books. It's 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 unbelievable. I think it's one of the best draft guides out there today. So thrilled to have Matt on the program. As you mentioned, Jimmy Kemsky. Jimmy Kemsky, nobody knows the Eagles better. Nobody understands this team and has been around them the last few years better. And, and Jimmy's got a feel for positional value. I want to get into that because I think it's so interesting for a number of reasons. Because what are we trying to do, Jody? We're trying to read those tea leaves, trying to figure out what the Eagles do at number 12. You know, but I've been talking number 37, that second round pick is every bit as important as, as the first round pick because this team lacks talent. We know that they're 4 11 and 1 coming off that type of season. So they have to rebuild this roster. And how do you do that? You you do that by hitting on draft picks. They have enough of them this year that uh, Harry Rosen is going to be able to roll the dice plenty. Yes. So when Kemsky comes on board, uh, we will have a different type of mafia. I have been told that there is a McMullen mafia. Some of them show up on our show, on our stream uh, that uh, JM has garnered this group from his participation in the middle that there is a McMullen mafia out there. Well, you're outnumbered today. Because we got the Malton Mafia, Jimmy Kemsky, a Malton, <laughs> New Jersey guy. Yours truly a Malton guy. So it's uh, the Malton Mafia against the McMullen Mafia. And the today. former, by the way, the former mayor of Mar Marlton, Randy Brown, 
the kicking guru from the Baltimore Raven. And by the way, that's not a bad uh, thing to have on your resume because who's the kicker of the Baltimore Ravens? That's the GOAT. That's the greatest kicker of all time. And yes, I said of all time, Justin Tucker. And I'm sure that uh, Randy takes as much credit as possible of, of uh, the Baltimore kickers uh, rise to the top of the all-time list in the history of the National Football League. I'm kind of with you. I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's trending oh, in that direction. They're putting another kicker in there. They better put him in there. I'll uh, tell you that. Understood. I think they'll probably take that guy from the Patriots first to kind of lifted them to a couple of Super Bowls. He will be eligible first uh, with the fact that he's no longer kicking. He's got to wait a couple of years, but uh, we will see more kickers in the future. I do. I do agree with you there. All right. uh, Draft stuff, position importance, position value. I know that some people think that is the utmost and most important thing about a draft, that you have certain positions that you're going to add value to because they have that much more of an effect on every single football game play. Some positional values are a little bit less. I get it. I understand it. But I do believe it can be overstated and over-evaluated. There's one that stands out more than any, and every team that is doing a mock draft this week is talking about the draft, getting ready four weeks, uh, three weeks from today, the draft will be upon us. Um, We're getting dangerously close to it. Quarterback's quarterback, and we all understand the importance of that position. But every other one, and I know left tackle and ability to get to the quarterback, be it a edge pass rusher from the linebacker position or a defensive, I get that those have – a little added performance, a little added value in each and every single draft. I think it can be woefully overstated. You got to get football players more than anything else. And you do need good football players at all positions, all uh, offensive positions, all defensive positions. Why do you think there is an emphasis on positional value when you're talking about an upcoming draft? Yeah, you know, you're right, Jody. And in a lot of ways, I think executives sometimes overthink it. And I think you should just, you know, we always talk about best player available. It's been around a long time, but Brian Billick was the first one who told me, and it kind of stuck with me over the years, that uh, need is the worst talent evaluator in sports. In other words, just take the best player. Um, I I agree with that, but it's more difficult to do. I thought it was interesting that Joe Banner, the former president of the Eagles, uh, did a piece on the 33rd team where he talked about positional value, how it shifted. Some of it was obvious, you know, in the modern NFL, which is so pass heavy, you know, spread and shred, so to speak. Running back is devalued. Middle linebackers devalued. Uh, but he did put receiver in there as devalued as well. And part of it was because there were so many um, dominant receivers, so many athletic uh, guys who can be game breakers, and there's not much difference between, say, the 10th best receiver in this league and the 15th best receiver. Um, but uh, a lot of it also has to do with the natural uh natural part of the game where think about it jody you need a vehicle to get you the football so even the best receivers of all time jerry rice randy moss calvin johnson is going in the hall of fame people like that calvin's probably the best example of this because i think we can all agree he was the second pick in the draft he was phenomenal 
I mean, he, he retired early. He's still going in the Hall of Fame. That's how dominant he was. But what did he do for the Detroit Lions? Not his fault, but they couldn't build up around him. There's only so much a receiver can do. So that's where I think people like Joe Banner are on to something. You know, if you have a a left tackle like Trent Williams is going to be an eight-time All-Pro and you're stationed there and you don't have to worry about it, I do think it's more valuable than certain other positions. And great story for you, Jody, real quick. Sure. I was in Minnesota when they drafted Adrian Peterson. And and uh, I don't know if you remember, they had a running back by the name of Chester Taylor. A good running back. Taylor yes, was a player. He was a darn – he was coming off a 1,200-yard season, caught about 50 passes out of the backfield. And I said, I, you know, after the draft, I asked the personnel guy, I said, you know, you got a running back. It wasn't a very good team at the time. I think Peterson was the seventh overall pick. You had so many other needs. Uh, why, why go running back when you have a running back? And he looked at me, one of the great quotes I've ever heard. I don't know. We can't curse on the YouTube stream. I don't know. Oh, no, we can. We we were told that that's okay. Well, he said, fuck Chester Taylor. (laughs) That was the, that was the, the superstar talent that he saw in a running back. And even if you have a good player, if you think there is a superstar, any position, you better take him. Agreed with that. And uh, it will lend itself to conversations, uh, plenty of them over the next couple of weeks leading up into the draft. The best teams drafting are the ones who can not only identify talent, not only rank talent, but be able to make moves around the draft. Uh, Bill Parcells, in my mind, is uh, right there with Vince Lombardi as the greatest coach of all time. I don't think you and I have ever discussed this before. Uh, I, you don't disagree that Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, do you? No, I, I think he's earned that title. I mean, you could you could throw Montana. Yeah, there's very few people in that conversation. But, I, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady, to me, is the greatest of all time. And he just rubber-stamped it. Don't get me wrong. I thought that before this latest Super Bowl championship with Tampa. But at his age, changing teams, changing conferences, leading a completely different team to the Super Bowl, that closes the book. That's the greatest quarterback of all time. He had distanced himself previous to this year, but in case any of those who are still clinging to the hope that you could make a case for someone other than Brady, yeah, that went by the boards when he took Tampa to the Super Bowl. He was already there. Um, It's less cut and dry with the greatest coach of all time. Now, you and I are both of uh, good ages. We can say we've seen a lot of football in our career. I don't go back to Vince Lombardi. I know when I was just a little kid, he was coaching the Washington Redskins, and I don't remember those days at all. But I surely know enough people who were either covering the league or huge fans, uh, and I've talked to over the years and told me how great – a coach that Vince Lombardi was. I can do all my own research and look it up at all the championships that he had in my lifetime, my football lifetime, as I've been watching Bill Belichick as the unquestionable goat of all time. For those who want to go back prior to the uh, most recent football, 1970s, pre-1970s, Vince Lombardi has to come into the conversation. You want to give me George Hallis or any of the other coaches? Got to throw Don Shula in there. That 70s was a, you know, if you think about Shula, if you think about, you know, even John Madden, who didn't coach very long, but you think about even guys like Bud Grant and Chuck Knox, um, that was a sort of, 
uh, halcyon era of, of, of coaching in the NFL. But you're right. I mean, I look at Bill Belichick and I say, to, to be that consistent, that good. Remember, back in the 70s, take a Shula, Jody. You got a team together. Uh, Chuck Knoll, um, guys like that. You got a team together. You had him for 10 years. You had those guys. There was no free agency, no massive player movement. You were able to build that, and that's why you had those dynasties. What Belichick was able to do for essentially two decades, and, and a lot of it has to do with Tom Brady, no question about it, but in, in the free agency era where the turnover is massive each and every season, it's unbelievable. And the reason why I even went there, comparing Lombardi to a Belichick, to make the argument he's the greatest of all time. What I'll tell you, he is at, at least equal, if not above and beyond. It contributes to him being the greatest coach of all time because he is the main player personnel guy in New England as well. I believe, and I've never sat in their war room, but it's been reported that he is the driving force their entire draft. He is a master at getting value out of his picks. I'm not talking positional value like you uh, are talking about. And we get Jimmy Kempsey up here and he put a lot of that into his latest article. I'm just talking about the value of the placement of the draft, the number of the draft, where you are in comparison to other teams who may have needs and the like. The New England Patriots move up and down more than any other team in the National Football League and have in the draft for the last 10-plus years the Belichickian era up there in New England. He is just great at playing Monty Hall on draft day and coming up with deals either to add draft picks when he needs them, use draft picks to get a specific, get in position to take a specific player. That's going to be huge for the Eagles this year. They're going to need to know when to move, when not to move, when to use a draft pick to move up, to add an extra draft pick. If the guy they want is uh, five or six slots from being picked and they can drop down and get him. I I think that's a Howie Roseman strength rather than a weakness. He needs to take a page out of the Bill Belichick book because nobody has done it as well as Belichick over the last decade plus. No, you know what it is. I've talked to a lot of guys over the years about draft night, and I think a lot of people think it's very, you know, um, whatever term you want to use, very off the cuff. It's not. You you have to have your decisions in place before everything starts and run through all these contingencies. And, uh, you know, one of the great stories from the Patriots and Nick Cesario, who was Bill Belichick's uh, right-hand man in personnel for many, many years, now running the Houston Texans. It was either the 2017 or 2018 draft. I think it might have been after the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Uh, he he told the uh, Boston area reporters that their draft board that year was 75 people. That's how finely tuned it was, <laughs> 75 people. And if one of those guys weren't available – at the value, they didn't have a ton of picks, obviously, but they just moved on. They either traded out, they they weren't going to bring anybody in that they didn't think was a, a Patriots-like player. And I think that's one thing, you know, most draft boards in this league are about 150. So you see all these draft guys, and you mentioned Matt's going to be on the uh, program. They're 400 players deep. NFL teams don't do it that way. There's a lot of guys who aren't even on their board, and they'll all be down to 150 at least, uh, and some even less than that. 
and then the draft board becomes the call list for undrafted free agents thereafter. They might be ready, willing, and able to increase the size of their draft board when they get to that. And uh, I'll give Howie Roseman credit for that, too. He has, over the years, been able to find a true diamond in the rough. We consider fifth, sixth, seventh round picks diamond in the roughs. Wait till you get after the draft, and you not only have to bring the player in, but convince him to come here because once you go undrafted, then you've got options and you can talk to every single team and see what team may actually on their depth chart have a little bit more room for you to be able to, to make a team. Howie's been pretty good at that. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be as important this year because the Eagles actually have 11 draft picks. We don't think they'll use all 11. Off the top of your head, how many do you think they're going to use? Do you think it'll be exactly 11 more or less? I, I think I think I would go slightly under, but not a lot under. Because remember, this team is still suffering from the effects of those back-to-back years with only five draft picks. So they started back uh, uh, having a, a more normal number. But the reason they're in this position today is well, they haven't been able to repopulate the back end of that roster with young talent. So they need to stock the cupboard, so to speak. They need to take a lot of those picks. Right. And they have some positional needs. You got positional value and positional needs. We know what the Eagles positional needs are. Uh, how heavily are they going to be able to jump in and get those type of guys in this draft? We shall see. We are, as we noted, counting down just uh, three weeks tomorrow from tomorrow will be the uh, first day of the NFL draft. And uh, they'll be moving and shaking and speculation Adam Schefter saying yesterday, uh, let's cover this before we punch Jerry Kemsky up. Uh, Schefter said he's hearing that the Atlanta Falcons are at least open to conversations about trading out of the number four slot. Most people would uh, project that that means they're listening to teams that may want to get up to number four to get a quarterback. If three quarterbacks are coming off the board in the first three picks, and we surely believe that with the uh, Jaguars, the Jets, and the San Francisco 49ers moving up to number three, number four would be the next place to get a quarterback, and teams may think they need to be there. Is Atlanta doing the right thing by uh, putting that pick? I don't want to call it up for auction, but you know the point I'm trying to make, making it available. And if so, will that help or hurt the Eagles at number 12 if the Atlanta Falcons move out of four? Well, I think it would help the Eagles because you want all the quarterbacks taken. So you want all five guys to go before number 12, and that gives the Eagles a better opportunity to get uh, the position player they're targeting. So – uh, you're right. I mean, quarterback quarterbacks are going one through three. So we know that that'll be the third time in the Super Bowl era that's happened. First four picks, it's never happened. And I think a lot of it depends on San Francisco, because if they take Mac Jones, a lot of people in this league think they're going to take Mac Jones. Somebody's going to go up to get Justin Fields. Somebody is going to go up. And I think the Falcons are looking at what the Miami Dolphins got with their haul and saying, well, we'd like that. And we're going to have Matt Ryan for a couple more seasons anyway. So, you know, why not drop back a few spots? And see, that's where I think uh, it'll have no effect whatsoever on the Eagles. It's just my prediction. And we'll find out on draft day if it turns out to be accurate. They may make the deal before that, but we'll find out actually on draft day. If the Falcons are going to drop out of it, I think they're dropping down to seven or eight or nine, not to Carolina because uh, they just got Sam Darnold, 
but I don't think they're dropping back past number 12 where the Eagles sit. Now, the Eagles could always move up or move back too, but if we're judging it as of right now, I don't think that a team is jumping up from uh, 15 like the Patriots to get that pick. I don't think that Atlanta wants to drop that far back. I think it'll just be someone else in the top 10. So it's going to be the same number of quarterbacks that come off the board before the Eagles pick. It will uh, change the overall number. It could be the first four. Shoot, I still think there's a chance that five quarterbacks could go in the first five picks. But someone is going to take a quarterback at four, Atlanta, or whoever they trade with. If they trade, I think it's going to be someone who's inside the Eagles, inside the top 12 to begin with anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And you're most likely, because they're not going to fall, they're not going to want to fall uh, too far back anyway. So the key is the number of quarterbacks. It doesn't matter who takes them. The key is those five guys going in the first 11 picks. And I think if that happens, that helps the Eagles. I do believe that will be the case. I think all five quarterbacks will be off the board. I think it could be the first five picks. It'll certainly be the first 11 picks, which is going to be before the Eagles selection. Let's talk about Eagles selections with our first guest. We'll get our first time out in here when we return. Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com will offer board. We'll mock up some Eagle selections for the upcoming draft. We are the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. If you missed any. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? To kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your yeah, eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us That's a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because I then, gotta get you hip to it. No, no, no. We, we have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio just like, what did he just say? Who's Play he talking Action to? Real. Play Action Real. His son, Nick. Happy birthday, bro. All right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously. This is like A.C. Green selling that he was right. a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. Planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day 
and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Thanks for streaming in here on Birds 365. Your Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald, John McMullen. We're hanging, talking birds. The draft is getting close. We're going to bring in our next guest because he's surely got opinions on how the draft looks for the Eagles right now, some three weeks away. Um, yes, we have the McMullen Media uh, uh, Mafia on the stream. This is the Malton Mafia joining forces. That's right. Both yours truly and Jimmy Kevsky of phillyvoice.com are Marlton guys. JK, how you been? I'm good. I actually used to mow my parents' lawn in Marlton when you and your other Mac partner uh, were on the air back in the day. <laughs> on my Walkman. A Walkman. All right. right. Nice reference. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate you getting on board with us. All right. No, you put up your latest Eagles-only mock draft uh, before we talk about specific players. Okay. How, tough, how tough is that? Because it's easy. <laughs> you think it is easy? Yeah. So I I try to keep up with the with the college players throughout the entire season. So like each Saturday uh, during the regular football season, I'll just kind of highlight five guys that I think might make sense for the Eagles uh, in the you know the, in the next draft. So I kind of have an idea of you know players who would make sense at you know every position. And then as far as putting those together, it's just all right, this guy is rated by, you know, most people around the first round. This guy is rated by most people around the second round, third round. And then I just kind of marry up uh, those players with uh, positions of need and and uh, and so on. Now, Jimmy, though, when you – and you went with Jalen Waddle, so tell mm-hmm. people that uh, with uh, the 12th overall pick in the first round. So just from that standpoint, we've been talking about a lot of value of position – and, and obviously, wide receiver has traditionally not been uh, a high-value target for the Eagles. But if you do go wide receiver at 12, as you did, you went Greg Newsom at corner mm-hmm. in the second round. How do you juggle that? Is that, you know, if you go corner J.C. Horn, then you're probably going to go the wide receiver in the second round. Is that fair? Yeah. So I don't, first of all, I don't even think Waddle's going to be, is, is even going to be there. Yeah. So like, I won't repeat guys. So I, this was my mock draft 4.0. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, I think it's more likely that uh, Devonte Smith will be there of the top three uh, wide receivers that are available. But your point is, is, uh, is, is a good one in that you got to kind of look at like, okay, what's the combination that that's going to give you the two best players. Is it wide receiver first round and cornerback second round, or is it cornerback first round and wide receiver second round? Cause I do think, that this wide re- last year's wide receiver class was widely regarded as one of the best ever. And then mm-hmm. this year I think is right up there with it. So I think you're going to find that there's going to be plenty of wide receivers in the second round that could be there. Like for example, a Terrace Marshall from LSU or Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. So you're going to have guys that fall into the second round. So your point is, is very good. Like I do think that JC Horn certainly, I don't think Patrick Sertan is going to make it to 12. I think probably his floor is, probably the Dallas Cowboys who I think are 10. 
so if JC Horn is still there, I do like him as a player. And if you can get him and then like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a wide receiver necessarily in the second round either. You can get some, you can get someone later as well. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're the, one weird, I, I wouldn't call this an advantage because it's not, but one weird advantage, at least in terms of the like picking players for the Eagles is that they have holes everywhere. So no, it doesn't that, matter true. what position yes. they pick, they're going to be filling some kind of need. It's both good and bad when you have a lot of positions to need. <laughs> yeah. Bad is you got to fill them. Good is that you can't screw it up because you have a lot of different ways to go. Let me ask you about one particular player you uh, uh, just mentioned, Devonta Smith. You yeah. actually think there's a possibility he could drop down to number 12 and be available for the Eagles. Yeah, what, so more does to... the, what more does a guy have to do than win the Heisman Trophy <laughs> to not be picked in the top 10 in the NFL draft? I know he's not uh, Megatron part two. He's yeah. not the biggest, strongest guy on the face of the planet. All he does is, I think it was a guy by the name of Chris Carter. Uh, who they used to say this about. <laughs> That's right. All he does is score touchdowns. Yes, I kind of like those uh, type of players. Don't get me wrong. I'd be ecstatic if the Eagles call his name on draft day for all the Eagles fans. He can't really drop down to number 12, can he? Well, you look at the draft order and the teams that are picking ahead of the Eagles and if those top three receivers, if any one of them make it past pick number seven, you don't have teams with wide receiver needs thereafter. So uh, what eight you have Carolina that they're fine at receiver. You have Denver at nine. They have Sutton and Judy and uh, Hamler uh, who they just drafted at Cowboys at 10. You have CD lamb, you have Michael Gallup, you have uh, Amari Cooper. And then 11, you have the giants who just paid big time money to Kenny Galladay, who they already have uh Sterling Shepard and they have, um, uh, uh, Darius Slayton. So they're they're all stacked at wide receiver. They get past that seventh pick. One of them gets past that seventh pick, which is the, is, is the Lions. And then before, they have a need at wide receiver for sure. Uh, the Dolphins before them at six kind of have a need at receiver. Not as bad off as the Lions or the Eagles. Uh, they could go receiver. The Bengals, I think most people think, are either going to go uh, offensive tackle or Jamar Chase. Personally, I think they're going to go Jamar Chase. So if one of those guys gets past seven, I think they're going to last until 12. And then even if you look past the Eagles pick at 12, what is it? The Chargers are 13. Chargers they're not a good 13, candidate yeah. to move up. Like they're going to, they, if, if an offensive tackle is available for them, like I think that'd be the move up for them. 14, who is it, John? Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Minnesota. So they're not taking a receiver either because they have Thielen yeah. and Jefferson. So they're not going to trade up for a receiver anyway. So yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the Eagles' chances of of having one of those receivers drop is is pretty good. If if again, like I said, they get past that seventh pick. Yeah, Jimmy. Um, you, one thing I like to look at, and I really tend to go back to 1999 and Andy Reid because I think that's where sort of the Eagles thinking, the modern Eagles thinking, started. And it's about offensive line, mm-hmm. defensive, obviously quarterback. But yeah. besides that, it goes offensive line, defensive line. And so if you look from 1999 forward and you look at the top half of the draft where the Eagles yeah. are, six, so 16 and above, it's always been quarterback, offensive line, or defensive yeah. line. Do you think that's just a coincidence or, you know, that's the reason how he dropped down because he, he wasn't taking a receiver at six, bottom line. I think that how he's thinking on that was probably a little more simple in that my, my personal view of this draft is that if you're not going to take a quarterback or you didn't think the quarterback that you wanted was going to make it to you at six, uh, moving back from six to 12, I don't think the talent level between the player that you're going to get at six 
is so much different than the player you can get at 12 that you'd pass up a first round pick in 2022. So I think they made the right value move in moving back. Um, your point about offensive and defensive line is, you know, it's certainly a great one. I mean, they clearly value the trenches. And I think the under discussed position in terms of who, where the Eagles could go at 12 is defensive end. Uh, you have Quiddy pay there from Michigan, I think is probably the, the top guy that they would consider at that spot. Um, it, I think that'd be a little bit of a reach, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. They could go offensive line, of course, if Penny Sewell is still there. He, you know, he doesn't really fit in terms of, I mean, I guess Jordan Mylotta remains sort of a, uh, uh, like a, a little bit, a question mark. And, yeah. you know, he'll compete with Andre Dillard in training camp this year if Dillard is still on the roster. Um, so, I mean, we'll see how that goes. So, you know, they could certainly move uh, Mylotta into sort of a swing tackle role. But I think if you draft Sewell, that's more of like a long-term play where you want that guy to be your left tackle for the next 10 years. And then you have the other two guys in um, uh, Rayshon Slater in Northwestern and Elijah Vera Tucker in USC who probably are better fits at guard. And that makes sense long-term if you're going to move, say, Amalo inside the center whenever Jason uh, Kelsey retires and you plug in you know, either one of those two guys at left guard. So I can see that too. Now, the reaction to that pick – would, would be not be popular. Furious. <laughs> I mean, the, the fans would not want to see the Eagles take uh, a, a guard who may not even start as a as a rookie. So uh, yeah, I could, but I could certainly see them go trenches at, at the twelfth pick. Let me follow up on the trenches uh, for both you guys. If and this, would, I would be as shocked, maybe even more shocked, uh, that Devonta Smith should fall to twelve. If Sewell somehow comes down to number 12, if the Bengals go wide receiver and uh, I guess dominoes start to fall and before you know it, people aren't taking offensive linemen and Sewell is on the board for the Eagles at 12. If you're talking about value, I don't know that there can be a more valued player who's available to them. If they go there, because as uh, Johnny likes to say, it's in their drafting DNA that they always value the trenches if Sewell is there and they take him, have they had conversations about what Andre Dillard would be of uh, his value would be on the open market? He was a first round pick, a player they moved up in the first round to take him. We're only a couple of years and an injury removed from that. How much of a discount do you think the Eagles are going to have to take if they say there's no use having three left tackles on this roster, putting my lot in that mix? Uh, we we need to get value out of at least one of those players. And if it means trading Dillard, what kind of pick would they get in exchange for him? Yeah, so you wouldn't trade Dillard unless you got something decent in return because it would actually cost more to trade him than it would to just keep him uh, cap-wise. So if they could get... A four? I mean, I'd do that. <laughs> I'm not Howie Roseman, but I trade him for a four because I don't I don't think he like I don't I don't think it's there. I just don't think he's gonna be a successful NFL player. So I would pull the trigger on that move, especially if I'm drafting a Penny Sewell, who's now my starting left tackle. And I like I said before, I, I would have Jordan Mylata as my swing tackle. And then the rest of the line is, you know, maybe the best in the NFL on paper anyway, assuming guys like Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson can come back and and play the way they used to do uh before they got before their injuries. You know, it's interesting, Jimmy, because Andre Dillard, as you know, if you go back to that draft, the Eagles didn't do a lot of yes. work on him. <laughs> right. Because they, they did more work on Sewell than they did on Dillard. Yeah. They they didn't think he'd be there. So and then they said, Oh wow, we can get this kid. And they went up and got him. Yeah. And maybe they learned something from that, but Sewell to me is the guy like he might be the best positional player in this draft. 
he might be, you could argue Kyle Pitts, obviously, maybe Jamar Chase or, mm-hmm. or Sewell. Um, if somehow he fell to 12, I got to, I got to run up and hand that card in and say, you know, I just told a story before you came on about Adrian Peterson. I was in Minnesota. They had a great running back, not great, but Chester Taylor yep. coming off a 1200 yard season. And I asked a personnel guy afterwards and I told Jody the story and he said, fuck Chester Taylor. We're allowed <laughs> to curse on the stream. That that's what I think a soul pick is. I'm, I'm like, you know, I love Jordan Mylotta, but <laughs> at yeah. Jordan Mylotta. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan Mylotta is still a work in progress. I'd yeah. actually looked at all the Eagles sacks allowed over the season and off the top of my head, I think he gave up like nine or nine and a half or something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. like he was no, like a yeah. star player last year. And oh, yeah. by the way, I would say F under Dillard if Kempsey is ready <laughs> well, to trade well, him for four. We're only two years removed from them, them moving up in the first round to get him. And now you take a four just to move on from him. Uh, I'm a glutton for punishment with Andre. He tore his biceps. I, I still think there's a chance. He's so athletic. I think maybe there's toughness questions. But I, I still think there's a chance he turns the corner. And Jimmy, at some point, and I say this about the receivers as well, yeah. Where's the player development? They got to develop some of these younger players. Yeah. I mean, they've had a new wide receiver coach every year for the past X number of years. Of course, they're returning Morehead in his second year here with the team. So maybe some stability there will lead to better <laughs> developmental results. But you're, you're right. I mean, certainly they, they've spent on the position, no question, but they just haven't been able to develop these guys. Jimmy, we noted the uh, two positions you have in your mock draft for the Eagles, wide receiver first, cornerback second. Not only am I okay with the position you have for your third Eagle selection, I really like the player. Yeah. If Michael Carter, the North Carolina running back, is there, I think he would be an outstanding pick for the Eagles. I think he's got a chance to be a real good NFL back. Probably not a bell cow back, not that any team in the right. league has a bell cow back these days. And the Eagles surely don't need one with Miles Sanders already here. But, yes, he does make me remember a guy by the name of Darren Sproles, who is pretty damn successful and popular in this town. A little undersized guy with tremendous joystick-like speed, making plays out of the backfield, catch the ball, open field, makes guys miss. Do you really think Carter drops down into round three where the Eagles could snack him up? Yeah, I think the running back position, just generally speaking, has been devalued so much that guys tend to fall further further than they used to. And in his case, like you mentioned, like he's a smaller guy. He's like a thicker build. He's 5'8", 201, I think. So, I mean, it's not like he's so he's not it's not like he's not he's not Danell Pumphrey. All right. So like he does have some some thickness to him like Sproles did. And um, I kind of view him as sort of like um, like a juiced up. Boston Scott like I think he's way more talented like than a Boston Scott but gives you sort of the same kind of style of play in that uh, he can zip through holes but he's going to break more tackles than a guy like Boston Scott would and he's and I think most importantly to the Eagles and what I think we perceive the uh, that Nick Sirianni scheme is going to be in in Philadelphia is that they're going to use the running backs heavily in the in the passing game and I think he he gives you that element uh, as a receiver out of the backfield as well. Well, Jimmy, my favorite pick, since Jody went that way, I got to go down to the seventh round. I love the punter. <laughs> yes. Presley. And by the way, you talk about popular. If he was here, he would be so Oh, popular. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Just a massive king-size punter 
the guy is huge. He can throw the football. Yes. He's like Johnny Hecker. Um, I think he would be such a popular pick. And obviously, Cam Johnson is is now in Houston. Yep. The Eagles have Aaron Seapost, but nobody knows oh. anything about oh. him. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love that pick. And I, I wrote about him at Georgia oh, okay. Pro Day. Yeah, so – um, he was he was the top punter in college football. Uh, and, and you know, people don't think about taking specialists, but in the seventh round, when you have that extra pick. They, they have 11 picks. Yeah, why not? I love it. Yeah, he's like six foot, 255. So he's yeah. like a, he's, he's, he's a, he's a chunker kind of. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> well, so he can, am I. That's why he, I he, probably he, love he, it. I think, what are you, at a 48 yard Punt average, yeah, it's unbelievable, he and did. it's not like he's just a guy that um, you know can just blast it away. I mean, that's not what punting is even about in the NFL yeah, anymore. It's yeah. direction, it's it's direction, it's hang time, and it's uh, being able to pin teams inside. I don't even I don't even know why this stat inside the twenty exists. For me, it's like inside the ten is what yeah. matters for punters. So, but yeah, he he's uh, he's I think actually I don't think he's going to be there in the seventh round either. But I just kind of put him in there for fun. Just give me Howie, give me a punter competition to cover in training camp i don't care if you draft a guy you sign a guy as an undrafted free agent let me time hang time in, in training camp. Sure. There, there will be a punt to competition i guarantee you we'll see if they use a pick on it uh one last thing for you jimmy no you went to quarterback route in the later rounds as well you yeah. went jamie newman from georgia who i think in the sixth round is actually a pretty good pick and pretty good value how cognizant are the eagles of picking a quarterback, if they pick a quarterback, at just the right time. Where is the acceptable round? When can they do it? Because all anybody has talked about was, how dare the Eagles take a quarterback <laughs> in the second round after they gave Carson Wentz a $100 million and the repercussions thereafter. Is that weighing on their mind at all? This it's got to be. It's, we it's, can take a quarterback, but not too early. God forbid we take one too early and put pressure on Jalen Hurts. Where is that dividing line where it's acceptable to draft a quarterback without upsetting yeah. your current starting quarterback? Day three. Day three. Day so three. Pick, rounds four through seven. So if like, a, I think a couple guys that make sense, like as you, as you mentioned already, um, Oh man, I forget his name already. Uh, Jamie, Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman. Yeah. <laughs> and the other guy that I think might make sense if he's there in round four is Kellen Mond from uh, Texas A&M. So the, the, they'd be the two guys that I think that uh, that that you know the Eagles could uh, sort of take a flyer on because they do need a third quarterback anyway. I mean that that quarterback would be you know inactive on game day. They swung and missed a couple years ago on Clayton Thorson. But they they always do want to draft these quarterbacks uh, at least on at least on day three. I mean, last year they kind of overcompensated a little bit. But uh, yeah, I do I do actually think that they will take one in this draft on in the, in the, on, in the third day of the draft. You know, you bring up that overcompensation. Do you think you know they're they're different personalities, Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts? Mm -hmm. I I get the feeling. I, obviously, we we didn't get to be there as much last year, Jimmy, but. I, I got the feeling he's not going to be a shrinking violet if they brought some, even if they right. drafted uh, right. uh, Justin Fields. I think he would have took it well and competed. Do you think the Eagles went a little bit too far in saying, whoa, 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 we can't upset the apple cart? I don't think they tried to not upset him because there was the report that Ian Rappaport put up and he subsequently deleted yeah. <laughs> when he said yeah, that yeah. they were trying to get up to get Zach Wilson, uh, yeah. but they just couldn't get up far enough to get him. And then my guess is that Joe Douglas probably fired off a, a angry text to Ian Rappaport and said, "Yo, dude, we're trying to trade. Uh, 
we're, we're still trying to trade uh, Sam Darnold here. What are you, why are you blowing up our spot? So uh, I, I do think that they were absolutely considering a quarterback, either a 12 or moving up or whatever. And then when they, they didn't think they could get the guy that they want, or excuse me, at six, they didn't think that they'd get the guy that they wanted. They moved out. So I don't think they're worried necessarily about upsetting uh, Jalen Hurts or whoever's in place. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I agree with you in that Jalen Hurts is uh, he, he's, you know, he's got some winner energy to him in that he doesn't care what you're going to do. He's going to go out and compete and, and and try to prove that it's his job. Jimmy, one last one for me. And this is kind of for both of you guys, but Jimmy, you first, because you're both Eagles beat reporters. Yes, the Eagles released video of Coach Nick Sirianni mm-hmm. talking about uh, plays that they ran when he was the offense coordinator in Indianapolis and giving you background and insight and the like. And, yeah, you got a personality feel for Nick Sirianni from this. Uh, do I care how their plays worked in Indianapolis? No, that's water under the bridge. I really don't care. So you're more looking at the coach and his grasp of scheme, right, right. his personality and the like. It was, of course, released by the Eagles. Does that bother you guys when stuff like that comes out? Because you know it's controlled. You take it for yeah, what it's uh, worth, and you yeah. you put it through whatever filter you need to. Because if uh, he messes it up, you go, oh, let's re-rack that before yeah. we send it out again. Uh, how do you guys respond when you see something like that, knowing full well you only had limited amount of time and opportunities to get to know Nick Sirianni and be able to ask him questions? Yeah, I mean, certainly I'd love to have that kind of segment with him, too. <laughs> like my, my friend, actually, uh, I, I didn't see the whole thing. I only saw like the first like four or five minutes. I'm going to that's something I have to catch up on a little bit later. But um, like you said, you do get to kind of see his personality and you got to see him, you know, sort of more in his element than he was when he met with the media, when he's standing in front of a podium in front of nothing, essentially, and didn't come off as, you know, Frederick Douglass on the public speaking front. <laughs> so like. Like we, we, we got to see uh, the side of him that's, that's sort of more in his element. And you know, my friend Fran Duffy did uh, did that segment with him that you're talking that you're talking about with the X's and O's. And I thought Fran did a really good job with that. Um, I mean, yeah, certainly I'd like to have more more time to to talk that kind of to talk about those kinds of things with the head coach. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with uh, with with them running that segment. And, and I did think that it was a window sort of into what he is more in his element. Yeah, and I think the X's and O's part, and Jimmy's right, Fran does a great job with the X's and O's and the scheme stuff, and I think that shows, uh, you know, a great insight into the new head coach that people don't know a lot about. As a beat writer, and I don't know Jimmy can weigh in as well, you know, when there's a press conference coming up, uh, and whether it's, you know, Nick Sirianni being introduced, the second one, Howie Roseman, you know, Eagles.com will do something <laughs> first yeah. and that yeah. we'll get them the next day. That I don't necessarily love. But, <laughs> I agree with that for sure. Yeah. Un- yeah. Understood on that front. Yeah. All right, Jimmy, will there be a, ma- a mock 5.0 next week or? No, we, I do four and then I four. do okay. one like a day before the draft and then that's it. I don't want to like, I see some people put out like mock draft 18.0. It's like, oh, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just do four, which is maybe even a little overkill in itself. Yeah. But uh, and then I have like my final one where I do repeat players, like I said, the day before the draft. 
No I'm amazed I got through an interview with you and I didn't bring up compensatory picks. Jimmy is the <laughs> king, the right. king of compensatory picks. Yes. And how badly did they screw up by signing Joe Flacco? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with Johnny Mac on this one. You do get a little over the top with the compensatory pick. He needed a backup quarterback. You got to take Flacco. You got to pay Flacco. I was okay with that. He's coming in here to compete, according to Joe Flacco. Did you actually like that signing for the Eagles? No, not even a Compensatory picks aside, we need to uh, clarify it first. Compensatory picks aside, just from a football backup quarterback standpoint, you didn't like the Not even a little bit. Not even a little. No, I think they should have just signed anyone for the veteran minimum or close to it. Like, I look at what the Giants did, for example. They signed Mike Lennon to like a $1.6 million contract or something like that. So I think they paid him $2 million more than they had to. Like, if if you're – if you're a potential Super Bowl contending team and you need a quarterback to, you know, kind of you know, keep the ship afloat, if your if your starter goes down because you think you have Super Bowl aspirations, then yeah, go ahead and go out and spend money on a backup quarterback. But in this case, a guy that's only going to be there for a year who doesn't have like a, like a real strong history of wanting to be sort of that mentor type, like a Josh McCown made clear that he was going to be. Uh, you know, a year or two ago. Um, and, you know, he, and I thought he was, I, I actually watched his tape from last year, his four starts. And it's not impressive. So like he also <laughs> got paid like 1.5 million last year by the Jets. Yeah. And somehow his value increased like 224% from last year to this year. So I just, I mean, it's a small, it's not a big deal. Like it's 2 million more than I think they should have paid. And I don't want to get like too bent out of shape about that, but you make enough of those mute moves and, and they're cumulative over time. And I think that's part of the reason why they kind of got in a bad cap situation that they, that they're, they're in now. Uh, of course there were bigger moves that put them in that spot than, you know, like a very minor one like this, but uh, again, kind of just uh, uh, nitpicking here because it is such a small deal. Anyway, it's only 3.5 million, but I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't like the, the logic of it. Jimmy, good stuff. We appreciate you coming on board. You know you're tied to both John and myself. You're stuck with us, Malton Mafia guy <laughs> and right. uh, phillyvoice.com guy. So we're going to be tapping into your expertise plenty going forward. Thanks for sharing with us today. All right, Jody. John. Thanks, Jim. Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com, uh, outstanding Eagles beat writer. Yes, we'll have Kemsky on plenty as the uh, Birds 365 show rolls on. We'll roll on with more today. Keep it right here. Jody McDonald, John McMullen, your Mac and Mac guys with Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, 
your way. The, the, the middle. <laughs> we need a Lil Mays. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a Lil anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Mays. Lil Mays. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Birds 365 here with Johnny Jacob Media Network, Brillyvoice.com. Your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald, hanging with you. Uh, coming up in, oh, about, uh, not great at math, uh, less than a half an hour now, uh, the SIS Football Rookie Handbooks editor, former NFL scout for a couple of NFL teams, Matt Manocharian is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk about guys who will be available in this upcoming draft. I had Matt on my CBS show a couple of weeks ago, and I told him he did a great job because he kept the uh, draft book to under 700 pages. <laughs> I think it's 695, uh, uh, somewhere thereabouts. But he did get it in under 700. Phenomenal book. You could use it for your doorstop after you get through the draft. It's got some good weight to it. We'll get Matt Manocharian up with us. Uh, JM, I do want to talk about positional value and specifically the position of quarterback. Um, I don't think you and I have discussed. I probably discussed it with you on the air on WIP, but we haven't done so yet here on uh, Birds 365, the signing of the backup quarterback by the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Flacco. I had the same reaction that Kemsky had when I first heard about it. Wait a minute. How much money are they paying Joe Flacco to be the backup quarterback here? It seemed to be rather high because I knew what he made with the Jets last year, and he had gotten uh, more than double his money, almost triple his money uh, with the Eagles this upcoming season. But there was a reason that he was paid less when he went yeah. with the Jets last yeah. year. They didn't even know if he was going to be ready for the first game of the season. He had yeah. the shoulder issues. He didn't sign till much later in the free agency process. It was into the summer. It was already well into a COVID season that we knew was going to cost some preseason activity. Basically ended up costing all of it with virtual meetings and no preseason games. So the Jets didn't get a chance to really look at or know what they had with Joe Flacco. That's why they got him extremely inexpensively. The Eagles had to pay a little bit more because at least his agent did a good enough job selling to the Eagles that there was at least one other team, I had heard San Francisco, uh, that was interested in him as a backup. 
the biggest question to me, and Jimmy put it well, who knows, $2 million usually doesn't swing it. But when you are in a cap situation like the Eagles are, $2 million can be pretty key. Um, to me, if he is a good quote-unquote mentor, then he's going to be worth it. I've heard mixed things about Joe Flacco. I know for a fact in Baltimore he was none too pleased that they drafted a young quarterback that he knew was going to replace him at some point. That point came quicker than he probably would have expected and or liked. Uh, he and Lamar Jackson, he wasn't throwing his arm around the kid and said, let me teach you the quarterback position. But I did talk to some of my Jet guys and Jet sources, and they said he was pretty good in the room this year, that he and Sam Donald got along and that he was the guy who was ready, willing, and able to help. That, to me, is a key element here. Now, if Jalen Hurts breaks his leg week number one, it's going to change things a lot. But assuming health with Jalen Hurts, do you think Flacco is going to earn the $3 million and change that the Eagles paid to have him come in for this next upcoming season? Well, I think the Eagles hope he doesn't because I think the hope is that Jalen Hurts plays all 17 games and, and you know, uh, shows that he can be a long-term starter in this league. So, any backup quarterback is just insurance. It's essentially an insurance policy. He has to come in uh, and win a couple games. And as Jimmy kind of mentioned, I agree with this team's probably not going to be in a position where that's going to matter much anyway. So from a financial standpoint, uh, Jimmy was probably right. You could pay the league minimum for just somebody who's not supposed to play anyway. Uh but your your point, oh, Joe Flacco, guy was coming off neck surgery. You probably got that San Francisco thing from me because I heard the same thing. Okay. San Francisco, so it becomes supply and demand. If San Francisco wants them, uh, the price uh, bumps up a little bit. My bigger concern is what you said about Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, but it's a different situation. You know, he was the guy in Baltimore for over a decade. He won a Super Bowl. He won 10 playoff games. And here's the young kid coming along to take his job, whereas you said he was a good soldier with the Jets because he was brought in to be the backup quarterback. And I think it's the same situation here. You know, when Joe – everybody went nuts when Joe had his introductory press conference and he said, I'm here to compete. But that's just something you say as a player. Right. He knows his role, and I think – from that standpoint, I think things will be fine. But from Jimmy's point of this team's not in a position to win, you want the young kid to play, and if he does, say, sprain an ankle, it doesn't really matter. You don't need to go out and win that game. So you probably could take uh, a, a Mike Lennon type, as Jimmy mentioned, uh, at the veteran minimum. So I can see both sides, but it is nitpicking. It's not that big of a deal. Understood. And uh, at first I thought it was a, a pretty big overpay. We'll find out if uh, over time, if Flacco is a good mentor, this will be more easy to handicap after the fact that it is before the <clears> fact. <throat> Howie Roseman, unfortunately, has got to make the call and decide how much he is willing to sign him for before the fact. Uh, it's going to be an attitude thing. If he's got to play a ton for the Eagles or even as much as he played for the Jets last year, it's probably not a good thing. Uh, everyone no, is for Jalen Hurts to no, say. No, certainly yeah. not for the evaluation. And that's what 2021 is about. The Eagles have unofficially told us that. 2021 is about evaluating Jalen Hurts. And then we'll see what we have at the quarterback position. If he fails, then we can go do whatever we want 
with the likely three first-round picks, whether it's move up in the draft, whether it's trade for Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be out of Green Bay next year. After next year. Oh, yeah. And and then you start talking about that. Deshaun Watson, well, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. But if things, Jody, go in a, a positive direction, he might be available as well after, say, a six-game suspension. So the Eagles have a lot of avenues, and that's what Howie did well by by moving down from number six to number 12. Since you went there, I'll follow up on uh, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers with you. Uh, if he's out of Green Bay after just one more year, you're suggesting the Eagles <laughs> could be a team that could at least inquire well, you got to make that call. I think Aaron Rodgers has a better chance of hosting Jeopardy full-time in 2022 well, than being the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and I said on the radio in South Jersey yesterday, yes, Aaron wants to be in California. He's a California guy. He wants to host Jeopardy. It's not going to work out. The timing's not going to work out for him because he still wants to play football. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's very unlikely. But if Aaron Rodgers is available – I got to make that call. I got to make that call and try to recreate Peyton Manning in Denver. That's what I have to do. Did they uh, make the call on Russell Wilson? Do you think they talked to the Seattle Seahawks? Because, again, there's the NFL grapevine. It's information that's out there. Certainly, Russell kick-started it by saying he was tired of getting hit as much as he did (laughs) up in Seattle this year. Do you think there was a conversation between the powers that be Seahawks and Eagles this offseason about the quarterback position? Yeah, I mean, Howie's famous for calling about everybody. So, But he also knows that the Seahawks can't move on from Russell Wilson from a financial standpoint until next season. So, I mean, he's keeping that. Russell Wilson, I always say, Jody, is the white whale for this team. They wanted to draft him in 2012. They're very, very uh, upfront about it. Andy Reid has been upfront about it. And all of a sudden, they were at 76, I believe. Seattle jumped up to 75 to get Russell Wilson. And the Eagles immediately fell back. Uh, Ultimately got Nick Bowles, uh, I think, at 88. That was that same draft. And interestingly, trivia, Brandon Brooks was the 76th selection, Houston. Uh, had traded with the Eagles as they moved down. And obviously, he ended up here and having a very successful career. But the Eagles never stopped talking about, we wanted Russell Wilson. Now, I say, if you wanted him that bad, you could have took him in the second round or even the first round. It would have worked out. But nonetheless, they've always loved him. Um, They got to make the call. And, 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 And how he's famous for that. Same as anybody who is available but while I say that, the best case scenario for this team is Jalen Hurts succeeding because you have a young quarterback on his rookie deal, and that will help you um, solve the salary cap woes, help you build the depth at the end of the roster. So that is the best case scenario. But if it doesn't work, every avenue is open. Russell Wilson was a guy who's talked about in league circles this offseason. He's not going anywhere. Deshaun Watson, I absolutely believe teams inquired about him. The Texans have been pretty staunch in their 
Well, that's nice. Anybody can ask, but he's not really for sale. We're sticking with Deshaun Watson. And this was before all the off-field stuff came out that Deshaun was getting in trouble for uh, all the incidents he had during this offseason with masseuses around the greater Houston area, um, which tempered all the conversation about him potentially being available. Would teams even want to do that? Uh, Eagles were certainly mentioned in league-wide circles as a team that would at least inquire. How far do you think those inquiries went? Uh, And was it less likely the Eagles were going to do so? Because as per the Jeffrey Lloyd edict, we're going to do what it takes to help Jalen Hurts not have someone come in and compete with or replace Jalen Hurts. Or do you think it was the fact that Jalen Hurts is virtually untradeable now until we find out exactly what he did or didn't do off the field? Yeah, I mean, Deshaun, yeah, Deshaun is untradeable right say, now. Uh, but my, yeah, if, if you go back to, I mean, the Eagles before the trade, they didn't have the ammunition to go get Deshaun Watson. Um, now, perhaps they do, but now you're in the, the, the legal allegation period, shall we say, and they can't make a trade. But Aaron Wilson, who covers the Texans for the Eastern Chronicle, uh, really plugged in guy. I thought it was interesting. Earlier this week, he said a number of teams are monitoring the situation, and the two teams he brought up were the Miami Dolphins and the and the Eagles, uh, which is interesting that the Dolphins would want to pull the plug on Tua that early, but he was not good last year, let's be honest. Uh, and from the Eagles' perspective, I think there's a natural kind of fit if you're the Houston Texans and you want to bring a quarterback back in theory, um, you know, Jalen Hurts is from Houston. He's from the Houston area. I think if they like him as a player, there's a lot of ifs here, Jody. If they like him as a player, maybe they'd be willing to go down that road. You know, you're also going to have to give up before the allegations, probably three first round picks. Now we don't know what the worth is. And then the curveball to this is, did the Eagles really have the the political capital to maybe take advantage of this situation uh, and, say, get a little bit of a discount for Deshaun Watson? I don't think they do. I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody would be willing to do that. I think he's off limits until all of this is cleared up. And, by the way, that's for the Houston Texans as well. I don't think he's going to play for the Houston Texans unless this gets cleared up. But as you stated, there is a potential discount on the table that any team who were to make the trade now before all this is cleared up should, in theory, have to pay less for Deshaun Watson. No question. You could absolutely be acquiring a player who's going to get suspended by the National Football League. Who knows how long that suspension is? It could be a game. It could be four. It could be eight. It could be an entire season. I don't think Roger Goodell would go more than a season. But could he be taken out for a season? Yes. Well, if he's in jail, he's going to be suspended for the season. But as of yet, and and again, this is an ever-changing story. As we sit here today, there have been no charges pressed. It's all just legal allegations. 
I would have to believe that Houston would at least have some idea as to whether he broke the law or not by this point. So jail time, I don't think, is part of the equation. That's just my guess. If he ends up going to jail, get on the stream, give me a hard time going, Jody, you gave Deshaun Watson a free pass. No, yes, I'm, I'm giving not. him a pass from jail. Well, one allegation, the Houston Police Department is investigating now. So that's a concern. Anytime there's an open investigation, you, you got to be really comfortable it's going to be closed uh, because that takes it to a to another level. Uh, the civil allegations, you're right. I mean, if you look at the history, uh, the precedent that Roger Goodell has set, it's basically six games for Ezekiel Elliott. So if you have the you-know-what, that I'll use our buddy Mick Foley, uh, 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 his term, testicular fortitude, if you have that and say, I'll take the six-game hit, and I'll take the superstar player, but you also got to deal with all that. There's going to be a lot of people upset. No matter what happens with Deshaun Watson moving forward, his reputation has taken a big hit. Understood. A big, big hit. I, I don't think you had joined the Philadelphia ranks yet. Maybe you had. Um, were you here when Michael Vick signed in Philadelphia? Uh, I was I, I was here, but I was at uh, the sports network. I was at the I was the NFL editor, so I was more national. Gotcha. I didn't cover the Eagles on a day to day basis. Understood. Um, the Eagles were able to work through the pushback against Michael Vick becoming a Philadelphia Eagle. I know for one, because I'm a dog person, I was not happy that Michael Vick signed here in Philadelphia. I fought for Michael Vick's rights to get a second chance. He did his crime. He did his time. And if he uh, had teams that he could talk into giving him another shot on the National Football League field, I, I certainly was for that. I think we are a forgiving country and people should get second chances. My stance was it just doesn't have to be my team. It doesn't have to be the team that I'm covering <laughs> day in and day out. If he gets a job, has success, goes somewhere else, go ahead, Michael. I just don't want to have to see it and or talk about it on a day in, day out basis. The Eagles didn't care. And as a fan base, they certainly let Michael Vick in as a guy they could root for. Uh, he did his penance and he was a man of his word and uh, gave to dog initiated charities uh, after he got out of jail. Uh, so the Eagles have already had that experience, certainly the Jeff Lurie Eagles uh, and Harry Roseman was part of the team at the same time. They've done it before. Is this different? Michael Vick's issues were, of course, with the dog fighting. This is uh, sexual behavior with uh, another human being. How do you think Eagle fans would handle Deshaun Watson coming in here with all this hanging over his head? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm a dog person. Uh, people listening to Birds 365 will at some point hear my dog chiming in, giving her opinion. Uh, so I did not like uh, the Michael Vick signing. Uh, but I agreed with you as well. I mean, you either believe in second chances or you don't. Uh, Jerry Jones is the one who said that. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys history of giving people second, third, fourth, fifth, and Randy Gregory cases were up to 18. Alden <laughs> Smith last year. So Jeffrey Lurie's been the same way. You don't even have to go back to Michael Vick. You can go back to Deshaun Jackson last season with the anti-Semitic uh, issues, and a lot of people wanted him run out on a rail. The difference is, Jody, even in that time from Michael Vick to today, you know the political environment. You know what it is. 
It is much more difficult um, today. You, you have so many people, and, and generally it, it tends to be a small minority of the fan base that are going to be activists and they're going to make a lot of noise. And the question is, do you want that noise as a business? Most people would say no. In the, in the past, Jeffrey Lurie has taken the hits on that kind of stuff. Understood. But we are talking about a superstar quarterback in his prime. And that helps. And it, it, if, it's it is 50, yeah, if, it's, if, if it's the 53rd guy on the roster, no shot. But if you're one of the best quarterbacks in football, yes. Well, the, you, the more talent you have, the longer the rope is. We know that. We started the show today talking about positional value, um, and we are doing so in reference to the draft. Oh, it's every single day in the National Football League, and quarterback is number one. Always has been, always will be. And when you're talking about the creme de la creme, and yes, Deshaun Watson falls into that category, well then yes, of course, that's going to uh, shade the view of both the organization and I think it does the, the fan base as well. Fans, as you say, a percentage of them will always take a stance on uh, social issues more than they will football. But if you're talking about the true football fans, they'll find a way to, in uh, their the own first, mind, justify it. The first three touchdown game, it'll be over uh, from the from the pure football fans. And, you know, people can argue how untoward that is. And it probably is. But look, we're just being realistic. And I, you know, Aaron Wilson, as I mentioned, is very plugged in. So the fact that he mentioned the Eagles, that means something to me. And, and, and the fact that he mentioned the Dolphins as well, that means something to me. And that means the Eagles are keeping uh, a very close attention to that situation. All right, McMullen, uh, gridiron prognostication time. Uh, need you to look into the crystal ball, which I know is completely random. And uh, best guess scenario is uh, the I most. I got to get a crystal ball. Yeah, you do. Aton's got Mister Predicto on the middle. I got to get a crystal what, ball. What is that? How have I missed that, Mister Predicto? Mister yeah, Predicto. Okay. He's got yeah. his own Twitter account, Jody. Mr. Predicto does? Yeah. Yes. Oh, good. I, I'm sorry I missed that. Um, with everything that has been reported and what has come out and the responses from lawyers and the like, as we sit here today, uh, certainly the situation is unresolved. It probably completely takes the conversation of him being available uh, off the table. When does it go back on the table? Does it go back on the table? Is Deshaun Watson going to be moved by from the Texans? And if so, by when? Before the season starts, in season? If we've got to go all the way to next season, it's a conversation we can hold till next offseason. But uh, do you think we'll get enough clarity in the situation that if the Texans decide, yes, we just need to move on, there'll be a team that can jump in and get a uh, deal done for them. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Texans were ready. It, it's interesting because Carolina was the team in the league that everybody was putting together, and ultimately that would be the place Deshaun Watson would land. Uh, and the Panthers wanted Matthew Stafford. Before that, they wanted Watson. So Sam Darnold was kind of their plan C, uh, and they had to move on. So I think that tells you a lot. Because they wanted, they really wanted Deshaun Watson before the allegations started. Um, 
the, the, if you're asking me best case scenario would be that six game suspension. And who knows at that point, you know, the Houston PD say has closed the investigation. The league has spoken six games. You could get them out of there by the trade deadline, but 22 civil allegations, this is going to take a while, Jody, unless everybody backs out. I, I could see him being on the commissioner's exempt list for an entire season and then you're talking about next year. The Texans do not have a first-round pick. They traded it uh, uh, for the big offensive lineman they got from Miami. The Dolphins have the had the early pick because of it, traded down, traded back into the Eagles slot. They sit at six. That's the Texans' pick this year. Are the Texans going to take a quarterback this year? If so, top five we expect to be gone um, in the first round. Mm-hmm. A uh, couple of guys who I think will be the next few off the board. Kempsky mentioned Kellen Mond is a guy who the Eagles might be able to get in round three. I don't right? think that's going to happen. No, I say no chance. I no. think he might be the next quarterback taken. I've always liked Kyle Trask of Florida. Shoot, I was at one point saying he's a legitimate Heisman candidate with the numbers he was putting up with Pitts on a week-in, week-out basis during the regular season. I think he could be the seventh quarterback taking. Does that uh, uh, equate to a late second-round pick, a third-round pick? Uh, that's all to be determined. But at what point are the Texans going to say, yes, if and when we do decide to move on with the Sean Watson, we need at least a potential next quarterback of the Texans in the mix? Do you think they'll take one relatively early in this year's draft? Yeah, I mean, they have Tyrod Taylor is probably going to be the stopgap. But, uh, yeah, they have to start thinking about uh, the next chapter because they kind of know. I mean, Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play there anyway under the best circumstances. So they kind of know they have to move on. Um, So, you know, the question is – you mentioned Kellen Mond. Davis Mills is another guy. Those are the two guys that keep hearing from NFL scouts that have uh, potential to be starters other than the top five guys. So those are the two guys I think the league says, well, maybe this guy's got a chance. Uh, so if you're in a position to get one of those two, and everything depends on evaluation, you mentioned Kyle Trask. I think that'd be an interesting pick for the Eagles because Brian Johnson is the new quarterbacks coach, and and obviously he had him at Florida. And one thing Nick Sirianni has preached since he got here, he, he constantly points out, look, I had Andrew Luck, I had Jacoby Brissett, I had Phillip Rivers. That's really three really different quarterbacks over a three-year span. And I had to build different offenses for each of them. You look at a Brian Johnson – Kyle Trask is more of a traditional dropback, big quarterback. So I think people look at Jalen Hurts as a dual threat and say he's not a fit. But look who they signed to be the backup, Jody. Six foot six Joe Flacco, pocket right. passer. So sometimes you got to go in different directions. I I I like Kyle Trask, but I like Kyle Trask as a early day three pick, early mm-hmm. fourth round. Maybe maybe the first pick in the fourth round. I, I hope that he's available, and I think the Eagles should be interested in him at that level. I think he's going to be gone uh, before that. I think he's a day two pick. All right, coming up next, we are going to be joined by our next guest. He is the editor of the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, former NFL scout, 
scout Matt Menocherian is going to join us. More draft talk here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have I mean, a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're you talking gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. I got to get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy right. birthday! Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's play talking action to? real? Play action real. His son Nick. Happy birthday, bro! And All they, right. Oh. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, I, sixteen I today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS. Today. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-S-E-O! Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. We are Birds 365. John McMullen, Jordan McConnell, a.k.a. the Mac and Mac guys. We are here talking football with you every single day. Certainly Eagles, the most important Birds football conversation. But we cover the league as well. And the entire league will come together three weeks, slightly over three weeks, three weeks and a day from now for the NFL draft. Our next guest is going to give us some more insight to it. And I like the way he does it. Uh, I had him on my show last year up on CBS in New York. I did so again just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, good enough to hop aboard with us today. He puts out uh, the sports 
Info Solutions, the F-I-S-I-S, Football Rookie Handbook, the combining of scouting and analytics. Matt Manucharian joins us here on uh, Birds 365. Matt, Jody Mack, and John McMullen here. How are you doing today, bud? Hey, guys. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Thrilled to have you, Matt. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Wanted to... Obviously, we're Eagle-centric here, so I want to start at number 12 overall. The, the Eagles kind of fell back from number six with the trade. Uh, pretty clear indication they couldn't get the quarterback they were interested in, which was probably Zach Wilson. Uh, and then potentially didn't like the value of, of maybe the receivers at six. So this team has a history of, of looking at offensive and defensive line. Do you think there will be that kind of value up front in, in, in the trenches, so to speak, at number 12? So I, I think when you look at the, first of all, the Eagles' big win by trading down. You pick up a first-round pick for moving down. I think they're, they're doing the right thing. I know at this time of year, we all think we know these players really well, and we think we can predict how things are going to end up. And the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, these guys are all rookies. They're going to come into the NFL and we don't really know how any of them are going to turn out. So when you can pick up that extra first-round pick, I personally love it. Um, in terms of who's going to be there at 12, I think it would be uh, like a moonshot scenario for Panay Sewell. We've got him as graded as high as anybody in the draft. If he was there at number 12, then you talk about moving down and still being able to get him. Jackpot City right there. Um, if it's not Sewell, the only other guy that I would consider from the offensive line or the defensive line to be a really good value right there would be Rashawn Slater, also offensive tackle. You could also slide him in at guard, but uh, a, a guy from Northwestern who um, doesn't jump off athletically like a Panay Sewell does, but somebody that plays with body control, uh, understands techniques, and it, he'll probably be a 10-year starter for you. So those are the two guys that I would say at that 12 spot I'd feel comfortable. After that, there's depth in the second half of the first round into the second and third round on the lines, which I think is, is good. It's a good way to build. But um, right at 12, I, I would be hesitant to take any of those uh, pass rushers. You mentioned big win by the Eagles with the trade back from 6 to 12. Uh, I understand the Eagles' philosophy, and I'm not saying I think it was a bad trade. Here's my only question. The Dolphins did it first. I know the uh, it was a three-team trade, and one move kind of predicated the other. But the Dolphins moved from 3 to 12, and they got – two first-round picks, future first-round pick, and a locked-in pick as well, whereas the Eagles got one future first-round pick and a move-up around in this year's draft from 5 to 4, and they went from 6 to 12. Three picks difference. The Dolphins went from 3 to uh, three to 12. The Eagles went from 6 to 12. Yet there is a serious difference in the compensation package. When you compare the two trades – to me, it makes the Eagles trade look not as impressive. Why is it the Dolphins got so much more? Well, I mean, if you think, I think if you look at the end of the day, the Dolphins at first got two first-round picks, but then they had to give one of them back to the Eagles. So they end up plus one. The Eagles end up plus one, really. I think what you're seeing is the difference between picking number three and number six is about equal to the difference between picking number six and number 12. Even though it's only a three-spot difference to a six-spot difference, where you are in the first round, you have a dramatic drop in value as you go from the number one pick down to the number 10 pick. That's bigger than the difference between the number 10 pick and probably the number 40 pick um, it, when you really talk about value. Um, so, And whether you look at the Jimmy Johnson draft value chart or you look at more new school kind of analytics-based charts, 
you find that that um, the value uh, on the very, very top end of the draft, it tends to be a steep slope. Especially when you're talking about quarterbacks, Matt. We all expect quarterbacks to go one, two, three, and maybe even potentially for the first time in the Super Bowl era, one, two, three, four. At least there's a potential. But, you know, big picture, I, I, I meant to ask you this first. As a guy who's been doing this and been scouting players for a long time, how much more difficult has it been this year with the pandemic, the no combine, the pro days? I never saw so many four threes in my life, man. <laughs> they don't, they don't happen in Indianapolis. I mean, how much more difficult has it been to get real good concrete information? Yeah, as a scout, we're pretty well aware that any pro day times are not uh, – you can't take them to the bank like you can those combine times. Um, you know, the combine times, the great thing about it is it's consistent for everybody. Um, if, it, if, the, if the laser was messed up, it's messed up the same way for everybody. So you got apples to apples. Pro day, um, it, it's all over the place. So I think as a scout, I never really cared too much about pro days. I think at that point, you're pretty locked in. You've been through your draft meetings. You've been watching these guys for three, four, five years of college football. So in general, I hope nobody misses those pro days too much from a scouting side of things. I think it's more the the GMs and the coaching staff that had other priorities during the college football season that probably lose a little bit more of the information. But how good is that information anyway? We're talking about pro days instead of what actually happens on the field. So getting back to your original question, yeah, this year is really hard. Um, and it's not because of the lack of pro days. It's because of the lack of football games last year. So uh, one guy in the football rookie handbook that, I, that we just talked about, Panay Sewell, didn't play any college football this past year. You got two years of film on him as an 18 and a 19-year-old. That's a, that's a tough thing to project out forward. Now, luckily, he was playing at a top level already. But what if you have somebody like Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan who just played two games and on other offensive linemen that just played two games last year? Well, he played great in those two games. He looked like a different player than he was in 2019. But – it was just two games. Can I really go off of those two games as, my, as, as an eval or when I'm looking at my statistics or anything else? Uh, the fact of the matter is that there's just much more uncertainty this year than there is in a typical year. So it's very difficult. And the most difficult thing is understanding the uncertainty this year relative to a normal year. Because uncertainty is something that we already don't have a really great sense of as scouts and as a league. Right. It's, it, people do a bad job. They trade up too often, like we were talking about before, because everybody overestimates what they know about the scouts in a typical year. So we know less than we know in a typical year now, but it still doesn't mean that we know uh, uh, we still have to calibrate that based on a normal year, like based on what we usually know. And that's something we don't have a great sense of to begin with. So I think that there's a chance that teams that really have an understanding of value can potentially find ways to maneuver, right? I think everybody knows the top 100 is good this year. As you get into the depth of the draft and undrafted free agents, it's just not the same level of player that's going to be there. Theoretically, that says let's value those high picks more than those late picks. Um, but um, at the end of the day, uh, just because we're, we're going in one direction from where we were last year doesn't mean that where we were last year was, was, was a very good North Star to begin with. We've got uh, the editor of the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, uh, Matt Manicharian, here with us today. Excellent reference tool for the upcoming NFL draft. Matt, I'm going to ask you a scouting question. Uh, pretty big story over the last several days. Uh, big media member Dan Orlovsky of ESPN said on one outlet, the sources were telling him 
Justin Fields, the highly thought of quarterback from Ohio State, might not be the hardest worker in the world, that he's uh, not the last first guy in, last guy out. He's more last guy in, first guy out as far as putting in the time, putting in the effort, working on his game, both uh, on the field and in the uh, study room thereafter. It got off into a racial conversation, which I'm not going to bother with today or bore you with. Who do you get that type of information from? You're a scout. You're trying to find out about a kid. You want to know what their work attitude is. Do you trust their coaches? Do you trust their teammates? How far back do you go to high school or before that? When you're trying to get a grasp of the young man and how dedicated he is to his craft, how do you go about getting your hands on that information? You leave no stone unturned. Hands down, you leave no stone unturned. Now, what Orlovsky was doing, he's playing a media game that's happening right before the draft. I don't blame him for it. I don't think he's racist. But uh, I think that reporting things that you're hearing this time of year – you might as you're as likely to be record, reporting a smokescreen as you are to be reporting actual information. Now, as a scout, I'm in there every like I said, I'm in there since these guys come in as freshmen going into these schools. So my region as a Northeast scout went to every school from Maine down to Virginia Tech uh, over to the west to Pittsburgh. So I have to have all of those schools like the back of my hand. I'm not just a super fan for each of those schools. I'm a super fan plus an expert plus a stalker combined. For all those and you think I'm joking. At one time at the University of West Virginia, we had a pass rusher that we were really interested in. And I got mixed messages. I would go on campus and uh, I got to be frank, the, the coaching staff at the time there were not very helpful. So I would go to the, the usual suspects, right? The position coach, the head coach, the athletic trainer, the uh, strength coach. Uh, these are the people that are kind of the bread and butter at every school, right? You'll talk to whoever's the assigned pro liaison. They'll give you whatever the head coach wants you to hear on a basic sense. But as you get to know the position coaches, the academic people are great because they don't have the same kind of tie to the football program, right? Everybody in the football program wants these guys to get drafted high. It's good for their jobs. Academic person doesn't necessarily care. Uh, But one time in West Virginia, I was unsatisfied with the responses. I was getting inconsistent things. And I got some intel that uh, a guy that we were going after loved to hang out in a particular bar. So I posted up in Morgantown for about a week um, and, you know, doing report writing, not just not not totally just skipping out on my job. But I posted up in this bar most of the time. And sure enough, I waited around. And when it came uh, Saturday night, this player was in there in the bar uh, post game partying. And I was able to observe this person. Um, so when I said stalker before, I really wasn't kidding as a scout, you'll do this sort of thing. You're almost a private investigator sometimes. And the people that give you the best Intel, if you can find the female athletes on campus and you can gain their trust just a little bit, the female athletes tend to date the football players and they get real honest, real quick when you start talking to them. So if I was really trying to dive into Justin Fields, I don't care about what Orlovsky's hearing from his media connections. I want to get on the campus and I want to find out people that these kids actually interact with. Well, that's true. If I knew Matt, uh, if I knew Julie Ertz before Zach Ertz, I would have known (laughs) everything about Zach. (laughs) So you're right. You you hit the nail on the head. You know, I got to talk to Greg Russo. I think he's an interesting prospect because he didn't have a great pro day. Uh, And he was one of those guys who was, phenomenal pre-pandemic of whatever 15 and a half sacks didn't play so he's in that category but he did 
spend a lot of his time working out with Chuck Smith, the ex-Falcons pass rusher who does a great job as sort of a, a personal tutor with pass rushers. I'm interested to know how you guys view that. Like, obviously, everyone says like, you can't replace live reps, but if you're working just on your fundamentals, your technique with a guy people really respect, Jalen Hurts with Quincy Avery, somebody like that at the quarterback position. Uh, but Russo, as I mentioned, with Chuck Smith. Can that help in a weird way more than, say, getting 15 sacks in a poor ACC if it's a, you know, a bunch of bad teams, at, at least at the bottom end of the conference? Yep, I think Jalen Hurts is a great example because uh, I think a lot of people were able to really gain some trust in what Jalen Hurts was. Um, not just because of what he did at Alabama and Oklahoma, but because because of people were able to kind of track what he was doing off the field. He's also very active in in uh, kind of the the QB schools that that people do, where you get the peer groups amongst NFL players. And when you have other quarterbacks telling you, "I like working with this guy," "I like working out with him," and you're talking about pros that are doing that, that that is meaningful. Um, I think about Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase didn't play football this year. I couldn't care less. Um, he was training. He's clearly got his, his body into great shape um, and he's ready to go. And we saw all the production that we needed from him two years ago. Now, with the Greg Rousseau, I think it's interesting because it's been so limited what we've been able to see. Yeah, he had double digit sacks in really his one year of college football. But you're talking about a 19 year old who hadn't even really figured out his whole body yet. And he had a lot of kind of scheme, scheme sacks. Um, Miami was pretty strong from an edge rush perspective. And he was, he was finding from a matchup perspective, a bunch of those were unblocked sacks and things like that. So when we did the film evaluation of Rousseau, it was really difficult for us because you see things where the physical traits are all there. So check that box. The production is there. So check that box, but we don't believe that he's actually using his traits to create that production in a way that's necessarily going to project and man, if we could have seen him play this past season, we could have gotten a much better sense of, is this guy putting it together as he ages from being just tools in production to tools in production that'll actually project to something on the next level? I get a little concerned when he doesn't work out well, because I think everybody was expecting him to work out better. Um, but at the same time, if as a scout, I don't have an, a relationship with Chuck Smith. If I did, or if as a GM I did, or a head coach I did, I, I would try to know over time. When I talk to Chuck, does he just say he loves everybody or does he give me the real deal about these guys? And it's those guys that give you the real deal. I think that's where um, you can start to parse out these things of, hey, I didn't have the film, so I don't know about Greg Rousseau. There's nobody more boom or bust than Greg Rousseau in this draft. Um, so you want to try to fill in those blanks as much as you can. It's not as good, but it's not a death sentence either. Matt, when you're good enough to send me off your uh, rookie handbook, I went through it, checked out some rankings of the players in specific positions. When I had you on my CBS show, I told you about a guy who grabbed my attention. I did not think Kylan Hill uh, was a running back who deserved or uh, merited being the fourth ranked running back in the draft. I remember watching a couple of games. He played Mississippi State, made a couple of plays. I said, really support best running back? I did go back and watch some YouTube highlights and videos of him. He is pretty impressive. I think you've got a pretty good read on him. He was a guy who walked away from his team this year. New coaching staff, uh, he said it was COVID-related. Others questioned if that's the case or he's just unhappy with his role on the football team. Very talented, very skilled, questionable attitude. 
Uh, I know other people who put out mock drafts and the like don't have them ranked as highly as you. Uh, what did you find out when you tried to do that uh, investigative research on Kylan Hill? I know you're a uh, editor slash scout now. When you were a scout, you did it much more detailed, but I'm sure you try and add some of those elements to your rankings. What's the deal with Kylan Hill, talented player? Where do you think he's going to go in the draft? Where should he go in the draft? Yeah, so uh, it's a good point. When you do our, when we do our reports, we try to split everything out as separately as we can. So we try to put the scouting and silo it. We try to take the analytics, put that in its own category. The injury risk, we try to put that away in its own way. And the character stuff too. And as you mentioned, I'm not a scout anymore. So I'm not going on the road from school to school with these relationships. It's really hard for me to speak on Kylan Hill. The amazing thing is all these other mock drafters out there, uh, they want to they want to say that they have an opinion on it. And I think it's all just hearsay at this point. So the football rookie handbook, really, we're not counting any character stuff in there. And even in terms of injury stuff, we're really stripping that out when we talk about the, the draft grades. With Kylan Hill, what you get excited about is his ability, to, his contact balance, his ability to stay on his feet throughout contacts. He's got explosiveness and burst. And he's been a guy that's played in a, in a zone scheme in his college career and been really effective with it. He's got good instincts as a zone runner. What do we mean by that? That means instead of it's I got you as a blocker, it's the whole offensive line is kind of moving in one direction together. And the running back has to have the vision to see the hills, the, the holes. We like his vision. We like his ability to fit in on first and second down and be a real handful for the defense. Don't see him as a three down starter immediately. That's the thing that really needs the digging in. If you think he can be somebody that can also develop into a receiver who's a really good uh, somebody who can catch the football really well. 66 catches over the course of his college career, not exactly, uh, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey type type production. So the question is, can you develop him into that third down player or is he just a first and second round back? In which case, uh, I think he's in the he's in the same category. Yeah, the rank is number four, but the grade range, he's right there with the kind of glut of running backs after you get past those, those top few guys. Hey, Matt, I, I wanted to get back into that. Some of that you, you were talking about, Dan Orlovsky, what do you want to call it? Silly season. Uh, you do get as a reporter, I can tell you, we get, you know, information that is obviously one way because uh, personnel executives want to point us into a certain direction, create a smokescreen. Um, two names I've heard at the quarterback position outside the top five that people in this league think could potentially develop into a starter. I don't like the term rising and falling because I, I don't think people rise or fall. I just think we get more information. Right. Um, 100%. But the two, two players I keep hearing are Kellen Mond from Texas A&M and Davis Mills from Stanford in that second tier. Is that, is that a fair assessment as, potentials obviously you talk second and third round picks at quarterback you, you got to get lucky but do those guys have that type of long-term potential so in this year i think there's a real drop off after the first five quarterbacks uh some years you find situations where there's just one or two two or three maybe zero quarterbacks that you really get excited about but there are guys that are deeper that you say man if i could have a chance with that guy he's somebody i'd be excited about in this year's draft it really is you said tier two I think tier one is Trevor Lawrence. Tier two is Wilson and Fields. And tier three is Jones and Lance for me. So I think we're already in tier four. And then, yeah, I get to the, the range of – I would throw Kyle Trask in the same mix as these guys in terms of their tier. 
Davis Mills uh, and Kellen Mond. Um, they're both guys that um, I think have significant holes in their game that would I wouldn't like to have either of them on day two. I would I would probably stay put if I couldn't get any of those top guys. I, I don't think they're a Jalen Hurts type player where Jalen Hurts had issues in his game, but at least you saw the role that he could fit in with um, and, and kind of the vision for what he could become as, as a player. With Mills, he's the one that I would probably start with. He's the one that I like a little bit better. You see natural talent there and an ability to kind of get the ball around the field with nice short accuracy. Uh, where things get a little bit tougher is he has a tendency to stare down. You would have liked to see more development. It's very difficult watching uh, you know, the, the Pac-12 football this past year. Uh, it wasn't the same level of football <laughs> that, that you know, we're accustomed to seeing in other places. Um, so the ability to get the ball down the field, to keep his eyes down the field as things are breaking down around him, just not not a, an extremely high level of possession. When you look at some of the advanced statistics, we have him as an 86 in terms of his rating. That's kind of like a Madden rating sort of based on the statistics. And, you know, all these other quarterbacks are performing in the 90s regularly. So it's it's a little bit of a step back. But in terms of a guy that has a chance, he's a guy that has good completion percentage, can spread the ball around. You don't see any obvious flaws in terms of he doesn't have the arm talent. He doesn't have the size. Uh, but I, I think it would be a little bit of uh, – I think he projects as a backup. And it would be a little bit of a reach to say you're going to start this guy uh, in a hurry. And 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 uh, Kellen Mond, I throw in the same, the same sort of boat. I think – um, the quick release, the ability to get the ball out, the ability to kind of manage the offense, but inconsistent, doesn't get the ball downfield. Uh, if you talk to fans of these guys at these schools at Stanford or Texas A&M, guys that watch all the games of all of these schools, you don't find a lot of people that are saying, you know, I've been watching him for years and I, you know, I think he's Dak Prescott. You don't really find that with these guys. You find a lot of, I was frustrated with him as a quarterback. I don't understand really what's going on in the NFL. So these guys, uh, it, they have a chance because they have some of the traits, but I wouldn't bet on either of them. Matt, last thing, and appreciate you coming on with us today since uh, Johnny Mac took you to quarterback. I'll follow up there. Next year's quarterback class. I don't know how much you put into evaluating a draft class a year and ahead, but it's kind of important here in Philadelphia because Eagles got an extra first-round pick by sliding down. Jalen Hurts is an improving commodity. It's kind of a prove-it type year. The Eagles may very much be in the uh, shopping for a franchise quarterback in next year's draft. Uh, you uh, sung the praises of the five guys who are at the top of this year's. How does next year's class, if you formulated an opinion, knowing full well it's a year out, so it can change drastically between now and then, what kind of class are we looking at next year if you've already got a grasp on it in your opinion? Yeah, I think this class is a standout class in terms of prospects. Um, you know, I don't know how many years you have five guys that are that are legit first round type guys. I don't expect that we'd have that next year. But there's one name that does come to mind that I'm already getting a little bit excited about. And for anybody who I went to college with at Duke, just you can you can leave the show right now because it's the North <laughs> Carolina quarterback, Sam Howell. Um, Sam Howell might be everything that that Ryan Pace wanted Mitch Trubisky to be when he came out of North Carolina. If you watched any of their offense this past year, it was very fun. We've got two running backs that are at the top of our running back boards this year. Those guys will be gone. So we're going to have to see a little bit what, what Howell can do without as many weapons around him next year. But this is a guy that spread the ball around, very athletic, all kinds of arm talent. Um, and instead of just having one year of production, we're actually going to get to see him perform a little bit more uh, in a way that we didn't with Trubisky when he was at Carolina. So 
Uh, despite his the, the colors that he wears on his jersey, he's the guy that I get excited about when I look ahead. And I think he'll be a first rounder when all is said and done. But we got to see how he performs this year to get a better sense of of how he's putting it together as we go. Because he had a lot of talent around him this year. He's going to have talent around him next year. But he's going to have to really put the team, the offense on his back and show that he wasn't kind of a one-hit wonder. So that's the guy I have my eye on. And Matt had extra time this yeah. year because he didn't have to worry about watching the NCAA tournament with Duke. Matt, so he had that much true. more time. Oh, what, a, what a shot, Joey. Uh, hey, real quick, Matt, I got to get I gotta get one in now. Trevor Lawrence, you mentioned, he's, a, he's the only tier one. Where is he? I've heard best prospects since Andrew Luck. I've even heard best prospects since John Elway. Where is he over the years as a prospect when you compare to other drafts? Yeah, he, he's in that tier. Uh, of the last three drafts, he's by far the best quarterback that we've ever graded. This is the third year of the Football Rookie Handbook, and um, he's got a, an all-pro level grade. Uh, he's as high-graded as anybody in the book, not just quarterbacks, and he's higher grade than anybody that we've done. I think the guys you mentioned, the Andrew Lux, the John Elways, and when you start to talk about quarterbacks like this, people like to use the words like can't miss and things like that. fact of the matter is nobody's can't miss. They, we got to see what happens with Trevor Lawrence, but as a prospect – you can't find a real flaw. You got size, you've got athleticism, you've got arm strength, you got processing, you've got leadership, clutch ability, everything that we look for in a quarterback. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is putting it together. Uh, that doesn't mean he leads our statistics in every single category. That's certainly not the case, but um, this is football and uh, we've got to understand the statistics in, in uh, along with the traits. And when you talk about guys that, that are at the Elway, Andrew Luck level, in terms of grading these players, it's kind of meaningless. Once you're that high a grade, uh, you're that high a grade. So parsing between is, is Luck a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence? Uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, if you told me we only get, what, eight years of Andrew Luck or whatever, then I might bet on Lawrence to be a better prospect. But the sort of things that are going to separate which guy ends up becoming uh, a, a elite-level player and where guys fall off, I don't think it's in the, it's in the mix of the traits that we've seen so far. The best we can say is he's really, really good. It's a little bit like when I was with the Saints and we would have our internal grades on Drew Brees. The grade, the scale went from a 1.0 being a reject to a 9.0 being the best player in the history of the NFL. Drew Brees' grades were anywhere from a 7.5 to a 9.0. And in actuality, those are the same grade. So I think that's kind of the category you're at with Trevor Lawrence. Anybody can be a miss, but – there's no evidence that shows that, that Trevor Lawrence is going to be that guy. His labor of love is the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, uh, Comprehensive Scouting and Analytics Guide. It is a great tool for you draft Knicks out there, uh, combining scouting with statistical analysis. Grab it uh, before the draft. you got three weeks to get your hand on it. It is uh, tremendous. We appreciate Matt coming on with us today. Enjoy the draft, Matt. Sorry for the... Duke shot. I had to take it. It was just it was a hanging curve. I had to take a swing at it. Uh, we appreciate- take, I'm not taking it. I, you know, I can't put it down myself in other years, so I better take it. This <laughs> Matt, great stuff. Thank you for coming on. We'll uh, talk to you again soon enough. Thanks, guys. Matt Manicharian, uh, former NFL scout turned draft publication editor here with us on Birds 365. All right, we're getting time out in here. Come back, put a bow on the show. You got the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.
The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have little Harry or little maze. Little maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Urge 365 here with you on the Jacobs Media Network. Easily accessible on phillyvoice.com. Don't really care where you punched us up, just the fact that you did punch us up. Thanks for hopping on, Birds 365, Mac and Mac guys. Final couple of minutes. Uh, again, let me thank uh, Matt Manicharian hopping on with us. SIS, uh, Football Rookie Handbook, great uh, NFL draft guide. We'll have a uh, fellow NFL draft pick on with us tomorrow. That's Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible, who's going to hop aboard with us. I know the draft is still three weeks away, but we are counting down Johnny Mac, so uh, we need to have as many of these true, knowledgeable insider guys on to give us that insight and let our uh, viewers and listeners be able to get that too. Yeah, and we got two of the best, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, the former scout with the Saints, uh, uh, does a tremendous job with uh, Sports Info Solutions, Rick with the NFL Draft Bible, you know, we had Jimmy Kemsky first hour, Zach Berman, second hour tomorrow, the athletic, he's going to be on with us. And I do want to say, uh, you know, we were talking about Deshaun Watson a little bit earlier. I want to update people. Nike has suspended their endorsement of NFL star Deshaun Watson over a sexual assault allegation. So this is getting bad and it's getting worse, Jody. Uh, I had not heard that. That is that new news you just got today. Yeah, from fact. CNBC. Okay. Just happened this morning. 
that is because uh, th- they invest in these players. Yes. We like to throw that term branding around, which I just, it annoys me to no end, but I acknowledge that it is part of what we're talking about on a day in day out basis. And it's a true part of reality in uh, when it comes to endorsement, stuff like that, how you are branded, how you are perceived, how you are handled is very important when your sponsors, after they've sunk a lot of money into you to become part of their branding, when they pull the plug on you, that's a really bad sign. And if that's the case with Nike, with Deshaun Watson, uh, the NFL, we know, is doing its own investigation. The police down in Houston are doing their own investigation. The lawyer who is attempting to drag uh, Mr. Watson into court is doing his investigation. Well, a company like Nike is going to do the same exact thing. If they are paying Deshaun Watson a big chunk of change to be a spokesman for them, they're not going to act willy-nilly. If they're going to uh, cease using him as a spokesman, that tells you something. That does not bode well for Deshaun Watson. No, not a positive sign at all. And that's the issue that... The two teams that were mentioned uh, about monitoring the situation, the Eagles, the Miami Dolphins, they see that too. So that's part of it. That's part of what they're looking at. And you do keep your your hand on the pulse, so to speak. And um, from a football standpoint, you'd love to have the kid. I just don't think it's possible for anybody. And that includes the Houston Texans right now. Every day, it's a uh, 22-hour wait. Uh, We do the show, then we wait 22 hours, see if anything happens, anything changes in the world of the birds. Um, We are two weeks, three weeks away from the draft. There are free agents that are still sitting out there. There is certainly a lull. If you see one guy a day uh, sign on with a team, it is tier, and we talk a lot about tiers when we're in the draft. Uh, Matt was just on talking about the quarterback tiers and how he would rate him. Well, we have free agent tiers as well, and we're down to at least tier three, if not tier four. Different people have different definitions of what the tiers are. Um, are the Eagles going to do anything between now and the draft? There's a reason that it dries up. Number one, teams' cap situations get a hell of a lot tighter. And number two, everyone believes they're going to be able Look to fill their yeah. needs with yeah. their draft picks. Uh, yeah. Is there anyone out there? Well, I always love, you know, when, when teams draft players, and you're right, they say, we're going to get this guy. It's going to be great. And, and then they get him on the field and they go, uh-oh, we better – we better get uh, a veteran in here as sort of an insurance policy. One position I looked at for the Eagles pretty consistently, and they tried to get a Dory Jackson, uh, is cornerback. Uh, he never got out, obviously, of North Jersey uh, to even visit the Eagles. But there are a couple names I've consistently mentioned. T.J. Carey, who is with Indianapolis, with Jonathan Gannon, makes some sense. Uh, Steven Nelson, who got cut by the Steelers, you know, maybe he crisscrosses the Keystone State and comes to Philadelphia. Uh, if, but he might be too expensive. You talked about that budgeting aspect of it. That's got to be a part of it as well. You know, one guy that intrigues me, Gary and Conley, former first-round pick, didn't work out. A lot of talent, though. So sometimes guys need second, in his case, third chances. I, I I might roll the dice, but you, obviously the Eagles are doing their due diligence. Point is, they need a cornerback. They can't go in the draft saying, 
we have to take a corner at this position. What I said at the beginning of the show, Need is the worst talent evaluator in sports. And that was one of the things that unfortunately we ran out of time with Matt that I did want to ask him the depth of the cornerback position. We had Jimmy Kemsky on earlier. He thinks Eagles could go receiver first round, cornerback second round. Uh, they could go cornerback first round, come back receiver second round. Wherever the Eagles are not going to wait, I don't think, much more than the third round. One of their first three picks has to be a cornerback in my estimation. And then they'll probably take at least another one, if not a couple, with as many picks as they have. How deep is the cornerback draft? That is something we will most certainly talk about with Rick Saratella, the uh, creator of NFL Draft Bible. He's going to join us tomorrow. And Zach Berman will be on with us as well. So we've got a good show planned for you some 22 hours from now. J-Mac, what's your dog's name? I saw that on the stream. People wanted to know. Isabella. Uh, Isabella. Isabella, female, I take it. I think you said she, right? Yes, she. Okay. She Uh, rules the roost, Jody. Same here. Uh, You may see her at some point in the background. Our dog is Moxie. Our previous dog was Roxy, and we got a uh, replacement dog when Roxy called it uh, a day uh, several years ago. Uh, She's a Catahoulu leopard. Really cool dog. You will never hear her. She doesn't bark. She just mine barks. Mine is, a, mine is a beagle bulldog you will hear. You might have okay. heard her yesterday. I did not. I If she did, she wasn't loud enough for me to pick up on it. But waiting to hear from her, you will you might see my dog at some point here on the stream. You'll never hear because she just doesn't bark. She's the most real dog on the breaking planet. Breaking news again, the Tennessee Titans have just added Jim Swartz as a senior defensive assistant. So really? That, re- that retirement did not last long. I wonder what that will entail. Well, uh, I can guarantee you this. Jimmy Mack will find out over the next 22 hours and have details on it tomorrow when we come back here on the stream. It is Birds 365. Mack and Mack out for the next 22. Good one with Zach Berman and Rick Saratella with us tomorrow. Be right back here on Birds 365. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.